So um, I really like Ron. Uh, Ron is a guy who doesn't, doesn't just talk, but he actually walks the walk. And he's actually, you come here on Sunday nights every, every second week, and he is in the kitchen uh, working alongside others who uh, serve people in the community with uh, meals and through the work week. I call in at all kinds of weird hours, and half the time he doesn't even know I'm in the building, but I know he's in the building. I know he's doing training in one of the rooms. He's doing all kinds of various training that he does in uh, domestic violence and uh, for a better city. And Ron is about to share some um, other stuff that he's in a new avenue that he's moving it down into. So how about we give him another big clap? Ooh. And over to you. So you've got your you know, I love it when God sort of prepares the way for you and you're going to say something. And, and before you've got up there, without you knowing, without any connection, God prepares the way. And Ines was sharing this morning and she has laid a beautiful foundation for what I want to talk to you about today. And Ines, we, we didn't know what we were talking about, did we? So... This is the Holy Spirit at work. And interestingly enough, this morning as I was thinking about it, you know, those lights are really bright. Uh, this morning as I was thinking about my sermon, I, I've been preparing this obviously for a while. Um, I'll go into a, a, a little while. In a little while, I'll go into why I'm preparing this particular sermon. But I've been going into this sermon for a while. And, and as I was thinking about the sermon, sermons that we've had over the last little while, once again, I could just see a pattern on how God has been preparing the way for this message to be shared. So you might remember last week, Jeanette had a great word of encouragement to us about some of the things that could happen with us as we connect with the community, out in the community, uh, with the council and with other organizations to, to impact the community around us. Uh, a week, I think it was the week before, Trevor, can you remember Trevor? Oh no, no, it was Gina the week before. She was talking about trust and obey. Well, that was another great service, a sermon for what I'm going to be sharing about. A couple of weeks before that, Trevor was talking about his drain pipe. You know, he had a, remember he had his down pipe and he had blockages in the way. And then my darling spoke about really seeing people. Can you remember that sermon? Boy, that impacted me. Yeah. Well, today I want to talk about the emotionally healthy church. And so I asked the question, what makes an, emotion, an emotionally healthy church? Is it up there? An emotionally healthy church has... Next one, please, Chris. Has emotionally healthy people. You see, because... What Ines was saying this morning, we can come to church Sunday by Sunday and we can really sense the love of God in our lives and those holes that in the cheese of our lives can be filled up with God's wonderful love. But if we walk out of this place and we're unhealthy emotionally, that love will just drain itself out of our lives. And suddenly we find the whole week becomes a burden because we haven't experienced that emotional health developed in our lives. And so today, what I want to talk about is just some ways in which we, as a church, can become more healthy, both as an organization, but also as individuals, because 
This organization won't be a healthy, emotionally uh, healthy church if we're not made up of emotionally healthy people. Is that fair? Okay. So let's start by uh, this wonderful verse in John 10. The thief comes only to, in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance and to the full till it overflows. I love the amplified version because it sort of overdoes it a little, doesn't it? You know, it really does go into it again. The thief comes only to, in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance, full, till it overflows. That's the kind of life that Ines was talking about, isn't it? Yeah. A life that's so full of God's love that it overflows into the people around us. Yeah? Now, why do you think that that's not happening to the extent which we would like? Why are so many marriages in our churches falling apart? And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the church generally. Why are so many marriages in our churches falling apart? Why, why do you think that so many of our people suffer from anxiety, depression, loneliness? Why is that, do you think, friends? I think so often it's because as a church, globally, we haven't spent enough time considering how our emotions work and how they're influenced by other things that have gone on before. And Ines was talking about that this morning, wasn't she? Yeah. How it's, you know, we can come here and we can, we can feel really low because of stuff that's happened in our week. And we get filled up with the Holy Spirit and we feel great. But then we walk out of here and something that happened many, many years ago influences us and comes up again and changes the way we look at our world. So as I said, I'd like to look at four, hopefully I've got enough time for that, I'd better just keep an eye on my watch, I tend to go on a bit. Um, so I want to look at four things that make an emotionally healthy church and therefore also make emotionally healthy people. In Romans 12, two and three, verses, in Romans 12 verses 2 and 3, we hear this great verse that Paul encourages us on this space. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed and progressively changed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed and progressively changed by the renewing of our mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So you see, God does want us to live a life that is good, acceptable and perfect. But the only way we'll achieve that is if we've done that first part. We've progressively changed by the renewing of our mind. So I believe one of the key things that we need to do as a church is start to consider more how we build this, this, this mind of ours so that it can deal with the struggles that we face on a week-to-week -week basis. So I, there's a little, um, uh, Chris, there's a, uh, the arrows, right, here we go. So what, what actually affects the way we behave, of course, is our feelings and emotions. So we, in this world, in this day and age, so much of what this world is about is about how we feel. You know, if it feels good, we do it. And so if those, the way we think about that is, is, is skewed, 
then the way we feel about our life is also skewed and therefore our behavior will be skewed. And so often what's happened there is it started way back when we were a child or when we were young. And one of three things happened to us. We either had a traumatic experience that changed the way we looked at life. You know, it could be a divorce in our parents' relationship. It could be something really traumatic that happened at school that a teacher at a very critical moment in your life said, you're a loser or you're dumb. You'll never amount to anything. Or it could be somebody uh, like a, a parent who says, you know, um, I wish I never had you. And, you know, you might think, boy, no, no parent would say that, but parents actually do say that. And so these traumatic experiences, these, these influences in our lives affect the way that we view our lives for the rest of our lives. Another thing that could happen is that we're all born into families. And in those families, certain rules exist. You know, unspoken so often. One of the rules that existed in my house was that in business you can't fail. <coughs> Excuse me, not that you can't fail, you mustn't fail. If you fail, then you bring shame on the family. So you can imagine for me, when my business failed back in 1996, it was a very traumatic experience, not just for me, but for my whole family, because I felt that I'd let the whole family down. And in fact, a couple of my kids and my, my siblings came to, and made, came to me and made that very clear, that I'd let the family down. And so those, those family rules can guide the way we look through life, and they will affect the way that we act. Because, you know, if failure is not, a, is not something that you can ex, ex, accept, then you won't take risks. Because, you know, when you take risks, there is a chance of failure. So it's better to take the status quo and do what everyone else is doing because you won't be exposed out there. So what happens is those deep-lying assumptions and, that are in our subconscious stay there for the rest of our lives. They become a filter in which we look through our lives. One of the other significant things about children is that children are great observers but poor interpreters. So they might see something, and they often misinterpret it. So, for example, a divorce in their parents' lives, they might think it was because of their bad behavior. And so that, that marriage has fallen apart because of their bad behavior. But, of course, it's almost never to do with their behavior. It's to do what's going on with mum and dad. So we take those things into our lives, and then we form beliefs. So that, that child might say, I'm a bad person. You know, I muck people's lives up. So they go through life feeling that they have to be very careful about what they do because they might muck someone else's life up. And then they start to think about that. You know, they, they, they self-talk. They say, hey, look, you know, when a, a difficult situation comes up, I'll back off because I'll likely muck things up and then I'll cause pain. So I, I won't do that. I start to talk to myself. And that makes me feel inadequate, and so therefore I act out my inadequacy on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's go back to Inus's uh, picture of that cheese in our, in our lives, you know. God fills that with his love, and yes, we know for a moment in the service 
that we experience God's love. But then we walk out of the service and something bad starts to happen and straight away we think, that's my fault. And so then we feel bad about ourselves for having created that mess and we don't go forward saying, hey, hold on, this has got nothing to do with me. We're affected by the way that we assumed and believed and thought and then felt and acted. So this is incredibly critical. Healthy churches have as their priority, their discipleship program focuses on leading people to the transformation of the mind. And I'm really chuffed by the fact that this church has chosen to engage in a program called Strength to Strength. Now, some of you will know that some years ago I did a number of courses in the Living Wisdom course. And for various reasons, I chose to step aside from Living Wisdom and started to look for another organization that had similar values and similar teachings to help the church grow in this area of emotional strength. And I found one called Strength to Strength. It's led by a gentleman called Richard Black, who used to pastor the Awakened Church before it was Awakened Church, yeah? So he was up here in Upper Hutter. I got to know him a little bit then and got to like him a lot. And I found out that he had started a program, as I said, which is made up of counselors and presenters doing seminars. And so today we've got Kirsty Wilton, who is... Kirsty, would you mind standing? So Kirsty Wilton uh, doesn't come to this fellowship, but she is a counselor, a registered counselor. Thank you. And she is going to be available for people in this congregation who want to deal with their emotional unwellness, their mind health that is perhaps unhealthy. And if you want some personal counseling, you can either see uh, Dino or Gina, and they will put you onto her, or you can grab a card. She'll be uh, at the end of the service, she'll be there. Uh, and you can uh, get in touch with her and make an arrangement to spend some time with her and talk through some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier, some of those assumptions, some of those beliefs that are affecting the way you live. Because you see, so often we're like a fish in a fishbowl. We actually don't see what is making our lives work the way it is. We only see the effects of it. You know, so we might have a money struggle, and we don't know what's caused that money struggle because we're right in the middle of that money struggle. But I can guarantee you that that's because of the way you're thinking that you're dealing with having money struggles. You know, in New Zealand, I can tell you with all honesty, it's about your mind, it's not about your pocket. We all have enough money to live off. We just have to know how to think properly to deal with our money in a way that will be healthy for us. If you've got a marriage problem or a relational problem, it won't be their problem alone. It'll be how you're thinking. It'll be how, what you believe that is affecting the way you're relating to your partner or your friend that is affecting that relationship. If you're overweight and you're struggling with weight, you know, it won't be because the food is too fattening or the, whatever you might say it is, or it's too hard to do. It all comes back down to here. You're not emo emotionally healthy. Your, your mind is not healthy enough. You know, I walk around with this. It's not because some other thing. It's because I open this too much and put the wrong stuff in it. That's why I walk around with this. Yeah? And so, hey, in that area, that's an area I am still constantly working on to have a healthy mind about food so that I eat more of the right stuff and eat less of the wrong stuff. And it's hard. 
because I like the good stuff. You know, I like the sweet stuff. You know, ice cream is just so cool, isn't it? But it's also cool around here. <laughs> yeah? So we need to formulate our mind in ways that will help us make the right decisions. And so working with other people, they can actually ask those questions because we're so involved in it. They can ask those questions that will help you come out with understanding what those assumptions and beliefs are that are causing the way that you act. I'd like to share a lovely story with you that, um, that happened in Misty in my life, uh, has been happening over the last few months. You might remember that uh, a few months ago we had a breakfast and a dinner for people to come and listen, women at night and men in the morning around domestic violence. And at the end of that, uh, that meeting, a woman came up to me and said, look, Ron, that's us. You know, we are really struggling in that space. Would you help us? And so I said, sure, come around, let's, uh, let's, have a let's have a talk. Well, it wasn't long, they came together, and it wasn't long before he decided this was far too hard work and decided not to come anymore. But she decided to stick at it. And so through the course of a few nights, we asked a number of questions. She responded and told us a bit of her story. And we realized that there was three lies that she was listening to. The first was, Somewhere in her background, she had been told that if you make a vow before the Lord to marry somebody and you separate from them, then you, you can't be blessed anymore. You know, your life in terms of God's blessing is over because you made a vow in front of your friends and family and so now you just have to put up with what you, you get in that marriage. The second lie she listened to was that as a, uh, as a young child, she heard that she wasn't worth or didn't deserve to be truly loved. In her upbringing, I won't go into the details, but in her upbringing, that was the message. That was the interpretation she came out of the things that she saw and experienced in her life. And the third one was that she deserved what she was getting. You know, can you believe that? She deserved it. And so she minimized the, the uh, violent behavior because she felt that she deserved what she was getting. So when she shared some of the things that he did with her, to her and with her, we were appalled. But she said, well, it's not so bad. Three lies that she had to be, we had to deal with in her life. And uh, Chris, can we have that, um, that, uh, that screen on there? So the cycle of violence, is she, see, she believed that that when she, um, when she was in the midst of her remorseful period, you remember this from last year when I talked about domestic violence? You know, domestic violence doesn't happen in a continuum. It happens in a cycle. And so, you know, you have the explosion where he gets very physically violent or uh, verbally violent or emotionally violent. Then you have a period where he, he would get very remorseful, very apologetic, and say it won't happen again. Now, in this space, she believed that he really loved her. And so she continued on with the relationship. And she was so codependent that she didn't see that that relationship had even affected the relationship with her kids because her kids also had burdens on their heart. And so they said, you know, we can see this relationship going one place where he'll eventually kill her. And so we don't want to connect so closely with our mum anymore because then we'll lose another person. They'd already lost dad in the early years of their life, 
but now we'll lose mum. And so they have distanced themselves from her. So she would rather stay in an abusive relationship that was experiencing all of this trauma than to build relationship with their kids. Can you see how deceptive this can be? She'd come to church Sunday by Sunday, experience the filling of God's love, but then she would go out on Monday and something would happen in their relationship. And she was paralyzed by the situation that she was in. So what we had to do was help her to understand that those were lies that she was listening to, and we had to replace those lies with the truth. John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? It will set you free. And look, folks, this woman is so free now. Misty's on Facebook with her, and she posts these wonderful freedom statements because she's understood that she was listening to lies that were crippling her life. And now she is free because she knows the truth. And that can happen to all of us, folks. Not perhaps as dramatically, but it can happen to all of us when we find ourselves in situations that are causing us pain or harm. They are reflectors from God. They are reminders that there is something you can do in your life that will change it and make it more abundant, make it more whole, make it more that you can overflow so that when you walk out of here on Sunday, you don't just experience that wonderful presence and love of God and filling up all those wonderful holes, but you can walk into the week and you can experience that love right through the week and be able to be a reflector of that love to the people around you. Is that wonderful? Can you hear me, friends? Okay, the second thing that we're going to do in this space is we're going to run a number of seminars in the days that lie ahead. And they're going to be on these subjects and talk about different ways in which you can build emotional health. Now, folks, I know that we get lots of talking to you. I've been in church for 60 years. Church people, I think, are the second most talked to group of people in our communities. School kids are the other ones. They get five days of it. We only get one. (laughs) But we get so talked to that we think, you know, so often it just goes over our heads, doesn't it? Friends, I urge you to come along to some of those seminars. Some of them will be at nights, nice and convenient, an hour session, hour and a half session, so you can take a bite size at a time. Get involved with them. Some will be day seminars. Some will be, you know, series seminars. All of these will be ways in which you can connect with this information and change the way you look at your world and transform your mind so that you can experience the abundance that God has for you. Is that cool? Okay. That's number one. The other three are much shorter. How am I going for time? Okay, very close. Number two, we need to own our own stuff. You know, when things are going wrong in our lives, it's not the other person's fault. It's not the other situation. When I went broke, I could have easily given you a whole list of reasons why things went broke in my, life, in my business. But I chose to say, God, what is it that you want to show me in this situation? And he showed me some stuff that has changed the way that I did business. And now I'm in the situation where I'm financially independent because of the decisions that I made at that time, that he showed me. So I'm not taking the credit for this, but because I decided not to listen to what so many people would do when they went broke, you know, because I've had people go broke all the time in business around us, and they would always blame the economy, or they'd blame that there's bad jobs, or they'd blame they hadn't been paid, and they'd blame also the staff 
They'd blame all sorts of things, but they didn't own their own stuff in it. You know, and so therefore they carried on making those mistakes. We've got to own our own stuff. Number two, and uh, number three, healthy churches have warm and strong relationships because they know that in conflict, relationships are built stronger. As I said to you, I've been in church for 60 years. My first 15 years as a kid, I was brought up in mum and dad's, the church that mum and dad went to, a Presbyterian church in John's in Wellington. For 24 years, I went to the AOG church in Wellington. And then since 2000, I've been here in this church. And I can tell you, it hasn't been without its conflict. Those of you who know some of my journey know that I have been in conflict quite a bit in church life. But I'm still here. And the reason I'm here is because I know two things happen in conflict if you handle them well. One is you grow out of that situation. God has taught me so much about me in the midst of the conflicts that I've had with the people in the churches that I've been part of. It so saddens me when I hear time and time again people who have left church say, oh, well, I couldn't get on with so-and-so. Or, you know, I didn't agree with the leadership here. Or I didn't do that. You know, they were wrong and they were wrong. You miss out on the growing that can be done when you're in the midst of conflict and you see it through to the other end. You end up benefiting from it. Forget about the church. That's God's problem. Think about you and what can happen in your life if you handle that conflict situation. And don't blame the pastor or the elders or whoever else it was that bugged you and saw things differently to you. You know, you'll probably see things differently to me and sometimes I might bug you. And you can choose to either say, well, forget it, I'm not going to work with Ron. Or you can say, I'm going to try and understand how God can make me a better person by working with Ron. Because he's far from perfect. And if I can understand how I can work with an unperfect person, God can do some stuff in me. Yeah? Awesome. And finally, number four, a healthy church has well-defined goals. And people in it have well-defined goals. Because you see, if as a church we don't know where we're going, then people come with all sorts of different ideas because they just don't know what happens here. You know, one of the things I love about Arise Church, and it's interesting that they're one of the largest churches in the country, is that John Cameron is very clear where he wants that church to go. And he shares about it many, many Sundays, either full-on Vision Sundays or in a you know, less uh, upfront way on Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday sermons. So the people know where they as a church are heading. And if we don't know where we're heading, we all come in with our own ideas and say, well, maybe we should head here, or maybe we should head there. And so the church isn't moving in a unified way. Now, likewise, as individuals, if we don't have goals, we live carelessly, don't we? We don't know where we're going. We just take life as it comes. You know, life throws a curveball at us. We don't know where we're going, and so we just run with the, with the curveball. And we end up deviating and going round circles. If we've got a goal, we've got a direction that we're heading in. And one thing that I can say of being, of being a goal-orientated person all my life, when you set a goal, it doesn't mean you have to hit it bang on target. It's driven you in that direction. And so even though you might not get there, 
at the time, you will still get there in the end if it's the right goal for you. You know, uh, we've just opened, uh, just, in the, uh, just signed a lease, sorry, on a house for the, uh, for the perpetrators of family harm. You know, the family harm house or PSO house as we've talked about. We just signed it last week. Now, two and a half years ago, we had a, a, a working group meeting, a facilitated working group meeting. And we set as a goal to do that in eight months' time because it was around about March and we thought we'd have it done by the end of the year. That was back in 2017. We're just doing it today. But I tell you what, the fact that we knew we were going to get a house meant that we have been working steadily towards it. So goals don't become null and void just because you don't hit it on the date that you set for them. They still drive you in a direction. And one of the little acronyms, I think you call it, that I always love to do when I'm working on goals is the SMARTY acronym. Set up there, SMARTY acronym. Let's quickly run through those. The first word is specific, specific. Goals need to be specific. If they are fudgy, if they're unclear, they won't help you to motivate you. Secondly, goals need to be measurable. You need to know, you know, if you're going to do uh, 10 or 20 sit-ups or whatever it might be in your exercise regime, say how many you're going to do so that you've got a target to work through. Don't just say, oh, I'm going to do press-ups in the morning. Yeah? They need to be measurable. They need to be achievable. Don't start from day one and say, you know, by the end of this week, I'm going to be doing 100 press-ups because that's not achievable you know, for most people. For, for you know, people like Blackie, probably is because he's such a machine. But for people like me, if I decide I've got to go slow, you know, maybe five by the end of the week, they need to be achievable. They need to be realistic. What is a realistic uh, goal that you can set for yourself? They need to be timetabled. And as I said, it doesn't matter if you don't hit the timetable. It's still driving you in a direction. They need to be inspiring because if you don't get up every morning and feel inspired to achieve that goal, then pretty quickly you're going to forget about it and it's not going to happen. And as Dino said this morning, we're a church about having fun. It needs to be enjoyable. You know, life is here to be enjoyed, not to be endured. Yeah? Same letter, but a completely different feeling about that, isn't there? Is life going to be enjoyed or is it going to be endured? I can tell you, the journeys that I'm on at the moment and the different spaces that I'm working, you can ask Misty, my life has never been so inspiring and so enjoyable. I wake up every morning, pretty early most mornings, with a, step in my, a spring in my step because I am so excited, so inspired, and I'm so enjoying the journey that God has me on. Hasn't always been the case, but it certainly is at the moment. Folks, in closing, I wonder if you could all just close your eyes for a minute. And Bruce, if you could come and play a little song in the background just to create some atmosphere. Jesus died for us to give us an abundant life. A life that will bring freedom in our mind so we make great decisions that will truly prosper us in all that true prosperity means. And all that true prosperity means. To be able to say about the hard times in our life that although, although they were painful, sometimes extremely so, 
they have become, we have become more patient, more kind, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more resilient, more good, more faithful. And finally, that we grow in self-control. You might remember those as the fruit of the Spirit. He died so we could enjoy close relationships with family and friends who will stand by us and love us through thick and thin because they have learned how to work through conflict and finally to be able to dream amazing dreams and see them come about in our lifetime because in Christ all things are possible. Now folks, I, I don't know, you know, we asked if there was any visitors here this morning. I know most of you people are probably on the journey of faith, but I, I would be untrue to myself if I didn't say, ask, if, if you have not actually made the decision to follow Jesus before in your life, then all this stuff is only practice, it's only activity. You know, it's, the Holy, it's partnering with the Holy Spirit that makes this stuff really happen in our lives. You know, Christian counselors have so much more going for them than a non-Christian counselor because they have the Holy Spirit working out the stuff that they're communicating. And I know Kirsty is absolutely desperate that the Holy Spirit, every time she meets with somebody, that the Holy Spirit guide and lead her so that she makes the right decisions and makes the right calls as she encourages this person on their journey. So if you haven't actually made a decision to follow Jesus, but you recognize that there are areas in your life that you need to work on to become healthy individuals, then I ask you, if you'd, while Bruce is quietly playing, if you'd put your hand up just so I can see it, I'm not going to ask you to come forward because I'd rather come and see you afterwards because I know that's a big deal. So. Just before I move on, is there anybody that hasn't become a Christian in their life yet or you want to renew your, your Christian journey this morning? Would you just put up your hand for us? Awesome. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Okay. And then I want to talk to what I know is by far the majority of us because, you know, friends, we all have stuff that we carry. Will you determine today that you're going to do something about it? You know, will you go and see Dino or Bruce and get Kirsty's number? Will you seek some help from a friend that you know who will walk with you and help you come to terms with some of these things that are affecting your life? Will you do that, friends? Because, you know, if we, if we just heard today and then we go out and get on with our world then this, this sermon hasn't been of a whole lot of use but if we determine that we're going to start to deal with our, the way we think then this could change your world for the rest of your time on earth can I pray for you as I close Holy Spirit you've heard what we've talked about today Lord I sense that you've prepared our hearts you've prepared our services today to, to share this message. So Lord, I pray that as, 
you've got people in this congregation that you want to touch and change because of the way that they're living their lives and the way that they're thinking, the lies that they're listening to. Lord, I pray that you will give them the strength, give them the conviction, Lord, to do something about it and see that you and your Holy Spirit can change the way their life looks in the days that lie ahead, I pray. Bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That was great, wasn't it? Well done, Ron. A lot to think about. Don't carry stuff alone. If there's stuff you've been trying to muddle through for years, get some help. Get some help. Talk to someone. And uh, I just want to reinforce one point that Ron said. You should never be in a violent relationship. The church has historically had a habit of trying to sweep stuff under the cover. It's time for the covers to come off. You should never remain in an unwell relationship, one that's uh, tearing you down in that. You need to get some help. And if it's violent, you need to get out. Can't be clearer than that, can I? God's way is not to put you in danger. It's to get you out of danger. Yeah. Great job, Ron. Great job. Great job.